the series of Transforming Pain into Purpose. And this morning, I am speaking to the topic that the best is yet to come, and it's out of the book of Ruth. Our theme for the year comes from Joel chapter 2 and verse 25, where God says, the covenant God says to you and to I and to Israel at the time, I will restore you. And as you think about that, the only way you can experience restoration is if you first experience loss. If you've first done something that has caused some chaos or havoc in your life. And that's what God's speaking to in the book of Joel. A nation that has been devastated largely because of their own wrong choices and series of plagues of locusts where the symbolic or real have swept over them. And there's just devastation everywhere. And God says, the covenant making, the covenant keeping God says, I will restore you. I was reading in the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 41 and verse 14, this incredible declaration about God being a mighty deliverer. And I want you to hear these words because it kind of sets it up as we're going to drop into at least the first part of the book of Ruth. God's speaking to his people who are devastated and I experience all kinds of loss. He says, do not be afraid. You worm Jacob, little Israel, do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I love that, decla that declaration. I myself will help you, your Redeemer, your Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. But you might have had your mind just catch on that thing where he says, you worm Jacob, little Israel, and think, well, that's pretty derogatory. But if you read it in the context, that's Israel's picture of themselves. And there's something wonderful that God does using those words. Well, first of all, the name Jacob is put in there. And Jacob was transformed from being Jacob, the deceiver, the supplanter, into Israel, a prince who walks with God. But the word worm there would be better translated, you little caterpillar. And right now, I'm sure there's revelation going on in your mind because a caterpillar is something that's involved in metamorphosis as changed by stages, changed by degree. And Paul uses the word a few times in the New Testament. We are transformed, metamorphosized by the renewing of our mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he talks about being transformed by beholding God's face, that we are transformed, metamorphosized from one degree of glory into another. And so you might be feeling because of what's gone on in your life and your world, your circumstances, whether you created it, somebody else did, or just life did it to you, that you feel like a little worm. And God says, yeah, you want to call yourself that? But actually I'm calling you a little caterpillar because change is coming, transformation is coming. And with that, we're going to drop into the book of Ruth. It's one of my favorite books. And Ruth, one of the great heroes of the Bible, I'll just love her. It's such a powerful story of redemption. And it takes place in the days of the judges where everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And it's the darkest of days. But in the story about a family and about Ruth and her choices, God is working behind the scenes 
in the darkest of these days. And he's beginning to reverse tragedy and loss and hopelessness and despair and bitterness and misery with just through a series of remarkable providences. We're going to come back to that word providence. It's not just good luck. It's the providence of God. God's hand at times seemingly unseen, unnoticed in your circumstances, changing things. But let's just give a a little bit of definition around the word redemption. It's redemption takes place when someone pays a price to buy something back, uh, to restore it, to re-enlist it into its original purpose. And the reality is Jesus is our great redeemer and he paid the ultimate price to take us off the shelf, as it were, and re-enlist us in his plan and purpose, which is the best thing that can ever happen in our lives. So let's go to the book of Ruth and we're going to read the opening five verses. It sets the scene and launches us into our first few observations. In the days when the judges ruled, remember, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king, there was no leadership. In this instance, in the days of the judges, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Chilion. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. Some commentators suggest they actually married into royalty, the daughters of the king of Moab. One was named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. And then both sons also died. You can see this tragedy, famine, that causes them to be refugees. Death, disaster, hope, and then the death of the two sons. We need to come back to Elimelech quickly because this story is about choices and the impact that choices make on our lives. And we'd say that Elimelech made a questionable decision. I don't want to judge him too harshly. There was a famine in the land. It was desperate. There was pressure. He was concerned about his wife and their two sons. But his name means God is king. And it seems like Elimelech trusted God until things became too difficult. And instead of trusting God in the difficulty, in the famine... He took matters into his own hands and he left Bethlehem, which ironically means the house of bread. He left the house of bread and went to Moab. And it seemed like a good idea at the time. It seemed like a right choice. And I'm sure there's some things in your life where it seemed like a good idea at the time. You were making the best choice possible, but it ended up in pain and disaster. And you look around, you go, what was I thinking? And there in Moab, he dies and then the two sons die. And this sets up the story. And I guess the key thought when it comes to Elimelech, whose name means God is king, is that pressure rarely 
exposes who sits on the throne of your life. And no matter what pressure you're under, can I encourage you to choose Jesus, to choose his ways, to choose to trust God despite your fears and anxieties. We should put more doubt in our doubts than we have doubt in our faith. We need to doubt our doubts. And even if we have struggling faith, still put that faith into the living God who loves you, who's covenanted and declared, I will restore you. And it kind of whispers in your ear, I know you're in pain now. I know you're dealing with stuff, but the best is yet to come. Then we look at Orpah, who kind of makes a faltering commitment. For time's sake, I'm not going to read the passage, but just tell it to you. It's worth reading this book. You can do it easily. Five chapters. Is that Naomi says, I'm going home. I've got too much pain in Moab. I'm just going to head back home. I hear it's begun to rain there. Things are looking up. I want to go home. And the two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, say, we'll come with you. And on three occasions, Ruth says, why, not Ruth, Naomi says, why are you going to come with me? I've got nothing to offer you. I really don't think I'm going to have any more sons because if she did, they would have the right to marry them. And so there is this kind of, don't follow me, don't come with me. But we need to understand our choices or the accumulation of our choices determine our destiny. And so eventually Orpah kisses her mother-in-law, there's affection there, and says goodbye. But it says Ruth clung to her. Orpah actually, her name means the back of her neck. And it's kind of like she turned her back on Naomi. And again, I'm sure she's in a conflicted space. Do I stay with what I'm familiar with? Do I go to a strange land that I've never been to, people that I don't know that well? And it's not an easy decision, but she chooses to walk away from Naomi and in a sense from God. The rabbis actually say that she was identified as the great grandmother of Goliath and his brothers. And it's ironic that David is the great grandson of Ruth who ends up meeting Goliath on the battlefield and it doesn't end well for Goliath. Jesus said, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And it's a challenging statement there. The challenge is if you make a decision to follow Jesus, don't look back. Now, it doesn't say you'll be cast out of the kingdom of God. And you may be in an experience where you did look back. You maybe did something like, or you walked away, you turned your back on God. Well, he's a redeemer of that. He, he doesn't say you won't be restored to the kingdom. I just love the story of the prodigal son. Read that. That's God's heart towards prodigals who've walked away, but want to come back home and you'll be given an opportunity to do that if that's your story and if you identify with that concept. You see, every day our decisions move us closer to God's oriented destiny or God's ordained destiny or away from it. Your choices are important. Your choice you make today for God to put your trust in him is important. And then we look at Naomi and she's had a bitter experience. And she says to Ruth on their way back 
to Israel, don't call me Naomi. And Naomi means sweet. She told them, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She's looking in the circumstances and she's blaming God for the choice that her husband made. We do that sometimes. Blame others for choices that actually impact on us. And she says, don't call me sweet anymore. I'm bitter about what's gone in my life. The way God has outworked things, blaming God. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought misfortune on me. And we see something here that Naomi is doing that we do. We begin to define ourselves by our circumstances rather than by what God says about us, that the best is yet to come, about who we are in Christ. We do it. We say, I am a failure. I am depressed. I am anxious. I am lost in these circumstances, filling the gap. And I want to encourage you, no matter how terrible your circumstances are right now, no matter how great the sense of loss or frustration or going, where is God in all this? Don't give yourself a permanent identity based on a temporary situation. Let me say that again. Don't give yourself a permanent identity based on a temporary circumstance. There's a phrase that comes up often in the Bible and it came to pass and based on that, I'm prophesying over you that whatever's going on in your world, this too shall pass. God has got something better for you. The best is yet to come. He's the great redeemer. You see, you're not the things you feel. You're not the things you think. You are what you act upon. Your acts of faith to put your trust in God, to follow Jesus, become so powerful in this situation. And remember, God speaks something better over your life. Jesus paid the ultimate price for the naming rights over your life. I want to say that again. Jesus paid the ultimate price for the naming rights over your life. You are bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. He, he has the right to name your life, your identity, who you are, and he declares who you are in Christ. I love 1 John 3 and verse 1, where John is in utter amazement. And remember, he's an elderly man now when he's writing this, and he kind of still can't get over the fact that he walked with Jesus that God made manifest in the flesh was his friend, was his Lord, was his saviour. And the love that flowed from Jesus to him and to others. And he says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. I want you to get this. I can't believe it. I just can't really get over this. The incredible love of God that no longer calls me sinner, failure, broken, useless, but calls me child of God, loved, adopted, included, put back into destiny. And he says, that's what we are. We're not 
our circumstances, we are what God has called us. And so can I encourage you as you go through this week to quit labeling yourself by your problems and start labeling yourself by God's promises over your life. Don't label yourself by God's, by your problems, but label yourself by God's promises over your life. And so let's come to the hero of this book. And we're not going to be able to look at everything, but we're going to look at her choices and her decisions. So when our Orpah has turned her back on her, and she's now work, walking into a totally different destiny back into Moab. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. You've probably heard those words spoken or preached to at a wedding and other places, and it's a great place to do it, that kind of commitment. But this is an extraordinary commitment from someone who at that time is outside of the covenant and the promises of God. She's a Moabite. And you can go back and look at the story of the Moabites. They are not friends to Israel. In fact, they're kind of considered almost a cursed people. And I don't have time to go into the reason for that. She comes from nowhere, no promises. I came across this statement that actually sends chills down my spine about Ruth and what an incredible woman, what incredible choices she made. And it's by Phyllis Tribble, an, an outstanding theologian who has looked at the women in the Bible and how the, the Bible deals with women. It's, she's an incredible author and theologian. And she says this about Ruth. Excuse me for reading this. Ruth stands alone. She possesses nothing. No God has called her. No deity has promised her blessing. No human being has come to her aid. She lives and chooses without a support group. And she knows that the fruit of her decision may well be emptiness, rejection, indeed death. Consequently, not even Abraham's leap of faith surpasses this decision of Ruth. There is no more radical decision in all the memories of Israel. I want you to catch that. You see, God came to Abram, said, arise and get out of the land to land where I'll bless you. Nobody's whispered that in Ruth's ear. But she makes a choice like Abram's to get up, to leave whatever's familiar, to make a quality decision, a determination to follow the God of Israel. It's an astonishing, courageous choice. And she has no promise of how things are going to turn out. Her statement is powerful. And I'll just pick up on a few things. She says, where you go, I'm going to go. 
I think it's tied to destiny and to where you position yourself. And I want to ask you, where have you positioned yourself right now? But she chooses to immerse herself in the places of God. She says to Naomi, you're going back to Israel, I'm coming. I'm going back to the places of God. You go, well, what are the places of God? It's, it's not a physical location anymore. Can I just suggest without taking too much time on it, personal devotions put you in a place where you encounter God. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Oh, there's so much there. The secret place, the secret place of the most high. You can maybe do a little study on that yourself. But when you get into the secret place, you put in yourself in one of the places where God can encounter you. Getting involved in church life, and I'm certainly not trying to make buildings sacred in this. I'm talking about the gathering of God's people, which we've missed so much. We've been able to do it online and I'm thankful for all of those things, but so excited about coming back together where we encounter each other, where we express a manifestation of the church. And Paul says this in Ephesians 2, and he's speaking to every single believer. Ephesians 2 verse 19 to 22. You are no longer foreigners and strangers. You, you, you're not on the outside anymore. Through Jesus, you've been brought into the inside. But fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. You're, if you said yes to Jesus, you remember the household of God. And in him, that is in Jesus, you have been built together to become a dwelling in which God by his spirit lives. It's an incredible thing that as we gather together as the church, whether it's in large groups, smaller groups, life groups, serve teams, whatever it is, Jesus is there and we are being knitted together. We've been built into a house that he indwells by his spirit. Yes, individually, but Paul is talking about that corporate connecting. And obviously then there's things like life groups. And I want to apply a scripture to that, which applies anywhere where Believers gather with some kind of intentionality to honour Jesus. For where two or three gather in my name, Jesus says, there I am with you. I want to ask you, are you positioning yourself in God places like Ruth did? Secondly, you need to surround yourself, and it's a flow from the first, with God's people. Are the people in your life Surrounding your life, followers of Jesus, people of faith and conviction. Now, I'm not saying at all you shouldn't have friendships that go beyond church people, beyond Christians. You can have great friendships there. Please hear my heart here. But I'm talking about the influences, the people, and even within church life, you need to be, about wise, be wise about who you choose. Jim Rohn said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Who are the people in your life that you spend the most time, who have the greatest influence in your life? They are shaping your life. And so you need to choose wisely when it comes to friendships and all those things. And the writer of Hebrews says that we owe something to each other when we gather, when we connect with each other. In Hebrews 10 verse 24, 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Restrictions are coming to an end. It's time to regather. It's time to reconnect. He says, some are in the habit of this, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. It's an incredible encouragement. And when we come together, whether it's just two or three, whether it's in a larger group, when we can come back to where we just have freedom to gather completely and the day is coming, but we do it with intentionality around the name of Jesus, He's present, but around the intent of encouraging and building each other up and spurring each other on to love and to good works. And the message is don't get into the habit of not gathering. See, it can become a habit. So don't resist that. Make choices that move you forward in your destiny. But you also need to remind yourself of God's promises. The God who says, I will restore you. The God who says, I am your mighty redeemer, the Lord. And you feel like a little worm, Jacob, right now, but I'm about to do something that will transform you, that'll turn your life around completely. We've got to remember God's promises. Peter in 2 Peter 1 verse 3 to 4 says this, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. Let me just pause there. Do you know him? And if you don't, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get to know Him, to put your trust in Him for eternity, but also for time, for life. But if you are a follower of Jesus, remind you, I know Jesus. He dwells in me by the power of His Spirit. God identifies me. God is in my life, even if I don't always feel Him. But he says, we've received all of this by coming to know him. He goes on to say, and he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption. He has given us great and precious promises. And those promises empower our lives. Those promises, when we hang on to them, when we declare them, when we put our trust in God's word to us, begin to transform us from the inside out. You see, religion tries to make you better from the outside in. But God says, I'm going to get in the really center of your life. I'm going to put promises in your life. And as you get into those promises, the divine nature that dwells within you will become manifest. You'll begin to see it break out and it'll overcome the circumstances in the world. We get to choose how are we going to respond to our circumstances? And if you're anything like me, we don't always choose well. We don't always choose perfectly. We don't always choose consistently. Well, one of the things that I've learned from David is he kept coming back to God and he's called a man after God's own heart. It's not like he didn't make mistakes. I don't want to get sidetracked, but it's not like he didn't mess up. He just kept coming back to God. And so the question is, are you going to make a choice like Elimelech? In your mouth, you say God is king, but in your actions, 
you put your trust in your own ability? Are you going to turn your back on God like Orpah did because it seems safer back here and I'm not sure I want to take that step of faith to trust God with my circumstances? Are you going to grow bitter towards God and say it's His fault all these terrible things in my life? Or are you going to befriend God like Ruth? She's extraordinary, the choice that she makes. As I draw this to a close, what begins to unfold is God opens a door through a series of providences. I'm going to come back to that word in just a moment. To open a whole destiny for Ruth and just listen to it, the beginning of it. I, I can't unpack it all for time today, but you can read the rest of the story. Ruth 2 verse 3. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. It just so happened. She is, along with Naomi or Mara, as she prefers to call herself in her bitterness, literally on the edge of society. She has to go behind the reapers and pick up leftovers. And it just so happens the field that she goes to is Boaz and a love story ensues. And the end of that love story is they get married and she gets put into the direct descendants of King David. But more importantly, Jesus, she's included in the genealogy. This woman that comes from a cursed nation who's not offered promises, who is not called, but who chooses God, is brought into the lineage of Christ through a series of providences. According to Rabbi Daniel Lappin, there's no Hebrew word for coincidence. Everything he says is God's providence, or as we'd say in the New Testament, it's God's grace and favour. And I'm believing for you, if you make choices for God, God's grace and favour is going to break out into your life, transforming things, changing things. It may not be an instant and then build difficult choices and challenging steps of faith. But God says, I will restore you. God promises grace and favour of your life as you make Jesus your Lord and Saviour. And so Ruth's great grandson was David, Israel's greatest king. Ruth, a Gentile woman, is providentially brought into the lineage of David's greatest son, Jesus. And Revelation verse 5 says, Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory he's worthy. He is the one that brings victory and power and provision to overcome. He is the one that brings grace and favour, forgiveness and cleansing. The question is, have you chosen Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne? Are you connecting your life to God like Ruth, a Gentile, an outsider, outside of the promises and connected to life and get included completely include one of the great heroes of the Bible. Incredible choice. But the choice is yours right now to say yes to Jesus. And if that is your prayer, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer. 
It's a simple thing. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, in other words, He is who He says He is, you will be saved. You will experience salvation. 